Welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast, a podcast focused on optimizing health and performance through a low carb lifestyle. Every episode will bring you a step closer to living an amazing low carb life. Come join us for this exciting journey. And here is your low carb leader and host, Dan Perryman. Hello, and welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Perryman, and you have joined me for episode 51. On today's episode, we have Ryan McGowan. Ryan is the owner of Laidback Fitness in Warwick, Rhode Island. He's a former athlete and an endurance junkie turned primal. In March of 2009, he stumbled across an article that rocked his world. After reading and rereading this convincing article, he reduced his training significantly, altered his eating style, and became healthier and fitter than ever. Inspired by this way of living, he left his commercial construction job, walked away from his career, and pursued a passion in fitness full-time. When it comes to training, Ryan is definitely a minimalist. He prides himself on creating efficient programs for his clients. Today, he will talk about MoveNat. He's a level two certified trainer and a level one kettlebell athletics instructor. He's also an animal flow instructor, and he was chosen as Providence Journal's Reader's Choice Award for the best personal trainer in 2017. I really enjoyed the interview with Ryan. He talked a lot about natural movements and how that can benefit not only your workouts and performance, but also your life. If you like this podcast, uh, please check out the lowcarbleader.com website where you can find all the links to my social media sites, Facebook with over 50,000 followers and Twitter and Instagram. And if you enjoy this podcast, please think about subscribing. All right. So on to the interview with Ryan. Well, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you're out in Rhode Island, right? Yes, I am. So we are in late June right now. So how's the weather out there? Today is beautiful. It's probably upper 70s, partly cloudy. It has stopped raining about an hour ago. It's been a wet kind of spring summer around here, but right now it looks really nice. What What's the typical high temperatures like during the summer? Right, right now, yeah, late June, I bet the average high is mid 80s. All right, so welcome and you're going to we're going to talk a little bit about your you have a very unique gym out there in Rhode Island and go ahead and take us through your background and where you started with fitness and nutrition and how you kind of evolved to where you are today. Sure, I started playing sports, you know, you know growing up and in high school and college I played football. And I just kind of always prepared my body for sports. Once I got into training in high school, I, I did what high school football players did back in the day, which was bench press and back squats and sprints. And I did that in college as well. Uh, after college, I was looking for something to keep myself in the competitive arena. And I got into triathlons, which was awesome. And I thought it was kind of diverse in that we swam, biked, and ran. Uh, so I was starting to get a little bit more variety. Uh, it led me to do an Ironman uh, in 2007, which was a great accomplishment. But I knew right even before I finished that I wasn't going to do another one just because it just wasn't what my body wanted. I just felt like it wasn't right for me. Not that it isn't right for other people, but personally it just wasn't 
the ideal use of uh, my body and my time. I eventually uh, found CrossFit, which was uh, getting warmer, I felt, uh, in terms of you know what my body enjoyed and how it responded. And then one day in the CrossFit, you know, uh, I guess bulletin board, if you will, an article came up from uh, Mark's Daily Apple about a case against cardio, which pretty much said, uh, you know, most of our activities should be easy, low-level walking, and then if we want to go for it, go for it and sprint. And, and kind of like jogging or moderate cardio really wasn't uh, the best use of our time. And that's at the time, most of what I was doing leading up to that. Uh, eventually, through uh, Mark Sisson and kind of exploring that whole world of primal eating and movement, I found MoveNat. And that's a system that once I found it, I, I haven't found anything better. I found things similar and that complement my MoveNat practice well. But MoveNat rocked my world. And I did it a week before my first ever Tough Mudder. And the cool thing was I did a one-day workshop uh, on a Sunday in Boston. And then that's the next Saturday in Vermont, I used you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of the skills I had just learned at Tough Mudder, which was an amazing experience. And it was then... That I decided that our training was going to be tweaked now, and we were just going to pretty much go all in on MoveNet uh, for myself and for my clients. Oh wow! So I want to talk about MoveNet in a minute, but what what type of training did you have to go through for your triathlons? But then specifically, what what type of training did you have to do for your Ironman? And where'd you do your Ironman at? I did it in Clearwater, Florida, in 2007. I was I was 25, so I I was pretty young. Uh, and I was icing my knees like every night. Uh, but the training was like a part-time job. Uh, in fact, I had a full-time job in the construction industry as an estimator and a project manager. And when I got out at, you know, 5 p.m., I'd go swim for an hour and then run for two hours and, or do some sort of brick workouts where you combine, you know, two of, or three of the three, uh, events. And then on the weekends, I would just go six to eight hours you know i do a three hour or four hour bike ride and a two hour run uh, i would just do some real long runs and sometimes i would do 100 mile bike rides and i was just hammering the mileage uh you know my body didn't take to it that well i didn't really have a ton of muscle definition and i again i was always icing something uh so at 25 i just didn't feel like that was uh right <laughs> for my body right, again, right for some people it probably it probably is but for me uh it just didn't feel right and it was a part-time job it actually led me to become a personal trainer i i uh, went to school for civil engineering and i did big construction for six to seven years after i did an ironman i had you know roughly 15 to 20 hours of spare time now because i just knew i wasn't going to do that <laughs> So I decided to become a personal trainer. I was always interested in fitness, and I grew up in the gym, and I worked at the YMCA in the weight room. So I became a personal trainer, and I started training uh, about four months after that on a part-time basis at a local you know, big box gym. Are you still in civil engineering now? No, I still use that part of my brain quite a bit uh, in designing and building obstacles. But no, I quit my job uh, almost exactly seven years ago to to start my own business. Very cool. That's very cool. What what kind of calories were you eating uh, during your Ironman training? I was probably three to four thousand a day. Um, 
you know, I, I didn't really count that much at the time. I was just, you know, drinking sports drinks and carving up. I didn't really, wasn't super focused on nutrition until a, a couple of years later. Uh, I was really focused on technique, my running technique, my biking and swimming technique. At the time, I'm burning so many calories. It just, I weigh about the same as I did back then, but I was definitely puffier and not as defined. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think Mark Sisson, he was an Ironman athlete, wasn't he? Like, pretty kind of a top one, I think. Yeah, he was. He was a competitive triathlete. And when I read his article for the first time, I, I thought he wrote it for me. <laughs> it was so spot on and so similar to my background that I, I just had to give it a try. Yeah, I'm actually going to have him on the show in July, which is cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I, ju I just had Elle Russ on the show. She works with him, and she, she wrote a book on thyroid. But, yeah. I kind of started my journey with Mark Sisson too. So he's just so knowledgeable and Mark's Daily Apple is so is such a good blog. Okay, so moving on. So talk to us about MoveNat uh, because I'm sure that's a term not a lot of people have heard of. Right. MoveNat is short for move naturally or move in nature. And it is a physical fitness and education system uh, based on natural movement skills. So we crawl, balance, walk, run, lift and carry, throw and catch, jump and climb. And within those skills, there are dozens or possibly hundreds of different techniques. So I think when people hear crawl, they just assume the bear crawl, uh, where MoveNow would call that a foot hand crawl. But there are so many other ways to crawl. There's probably 10 different ways to crawl, never mind the different directions uh, and, and planes we can move in while crawling. So why I loved it was based on uh, you know these natural movement skills, but also physical competence, which I always noticed growing up that guys on the football field, like some of the best players weren't even the fittest or the most uh, or the strongest. They were just really athletic and agile. And then, you know, going into the gym, you'd see some really strong guys, but they couldn't do certain basic tasks that you'd, you know, you'd expect a fit person to do. So MoveNats, you know, number one is really physical competence. So being able to perform a duty or a task based on the contextual demands or, or the situation. And competence definitely requires uh, fitness and strength and conditioning, but also involves uh, awareness of your situation, as well as knowledge of techniques that would be appropriate for the situation. Uh, so when I started getting into it, first of all, I was using muscles I hadn't used in a while. I was humbled by a lot of the techniques that I couldn't perform well that looked so easy in the videos. Uh, but it inspired me to get better at the system, knowing that I was going to shore up a lot of weaknesses that I currently had with my body. That is complementary with your personal training uh, certification then, right? Yeah, I... I pretty much base all of my sessions and classes now on MoveNat. And, you know, you can still swing a kettlebell. That's still natural movement. It's, it's pretty much a throw where you don't let go. And it's, now it's like my base for everything and my foundation. Everything that we do, you could kind of tie into MoveNat. Or, or even if it's a back squat, it's training for jumping. Uh, we don't do a ton of that, but if people come in here and they want to be able to jump higher... We're going to jump a lot, but we're also going to, you know, utilize those muscles that are required to jump higher. It seems like that would give you a lot more balance in your approach because, you know, I go to the gym and I see people that 
spent a lot of time doing bench and a couple other powerlifting, you know, techniques and they don't really have a balanced approach toward their fitness. So, you know, you've seen some of them, they got big chests and they're just, they're just not, uh, uh, physically balanced. Does this really help balance your, your entire body and, you know, balance your muscles and, and your movements? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's another one of the principles is being a generalist, uh, where you have those powerlifters who are excellent at the lifting skill, but probably don't run that well. Um, who knows how their balance is and uh, may not even you know know how to land a jump properly although they could squat 500 pounds uh, so what i love i love that principle of being a generalist in movnat is that you should be aiming to uh, if you're predis- you know, predisposed to being a great runner you should aim to bring up your climbing lifting jumping etc up to the same level as you're running you may not ever get there but if you bring all those other skills up you're pretty well balanced in the way you can perform. And I also find that you're less likely to have an overuse injury if you do vary your movements quite a bit. And a lot of stuff that I'm working with people, even if we don't specifically target uh, injuries that they've had to rehabilitate them or shore them up, it just kind of happens naturally if we work on the skills that they're not very good at. And they're probably not good at them because they haven't done that much. So. You know, in a way, we're, we're showing up imbalances in their body uh, itself, but also in the way it can perform. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just been a great experience for me. I, I feel like much more athletic and coordinated than I was six years ago when I started this. And I came from a background of sports. Uh, it's just that I wasn't doing a lot of movements, especially ground movements, that we do a lot in movement. So you're also a certified kettlebell athletics instructor and animal flow instructor and and i was introduced to that i've gone to paleo fx a couple times and they do animal flow there so when you combine all of this do you also incorporate weight training along with this or is it or is it something separate from weight training no we incorporate weight training uh, because lifting is a skill and well first of all it's a skill so we practice it like deadlifts and presses and push press Uh, but also you know for people who uh want to be better at climbing but maybe can't do a pull-up right now there are you know bent over rows that we can do we'll do farmers carries to uh, shore up their grip so we'll do loaded training to complement our movement practice or to kind of expedite some results Uh, while i think purists would say you could just climb if you want to get better at climbing. I think introducing some load is just going to help that process a little bit. Plus, some people, you know, just want to mix it up a little bit. Um, they've done they've enough dead hangs right, <laughs> in the sessions right. with me that they're like, can we just do something else <laughs> to hit those same muscles? And I like to keep it fresh and fun. But, yeah, the, it's all connected. It's really cool how uh, by doing other skills that might not be climbing, you can still get better at climbing without doing it. Um, and yeah, I, I love swinging kettlebells. I think some of the fittest people in the world do kettlebells, and I think they got that way for a reason. I mean, if you look at Russians, they're generally stronger than the rest of the world, probably. Uh, so that's probably for a reason. And animal flow is fun. Uh, it's a great thing to incorporate with kids. We do a lot of kids' classes, and you know, I think the language of animal flow is a little bit more 
conducive to teaching kids, you know, show a kid a, a crab walk. I think that means more to them than telling them to do an inverted crawl. Um, it's just, yeah, a little more fun and you can get them to, you know, bark like crabs or, um, you know, bark like dogs or make ape sounds. But yeah, I use animal flow a lot as a complement to my movement practice, especially in terms of uh, mobility and core stability. Again, you could probably do that all with MoveNap, but Animal Flow's got some really cool moves there that I have found have helped me with my MoveNap practice. Oh, that's great. So you mentioned on the nutrition side that you follow Weston Price and Primal Blueprint. How do you eat yourself? Yeah, I, I pretty much follow the Primal Blueprint. And Weston Price, is um, he's very pro-animal animal products, uh, or his his uh, foundation is. I mean, there are certain tribes that I think Western Press studied that uh, didn't have a lot of access to animal products, but um, in fact, he's very pro-animal fat. <laughs> uh, so like much like Marxists in, in the paleo primal plans out there. I personally eat uh, mostly primal. I've been trying to do a little bit more of the ketogenic primal, if you will. And I recommend people uh, start with just a, a primal diet. We actually are just finishing up a 21-day primal challenge right now. And I felt like if I jump into Weston Price or the ketogenic diet, which just typically have a little more restrictions, I'm not going to reach as many people. And I, I like the primal approach. I like the 80-20 rule as well, just so we can you know, enjoy and indulge sensibly a little bit. I think that's extremely important. Uh, in people's lives, and it's important for their social and emotional health. So I start with just uh, looking at what they're currently doing and trying to transition it into a more primal-looking eating plan. Yeah, I think as long as people take that processed food out of, out of their diets, I think that's a, a big start. But I really like the 80-20 approach, too, that some people can be more compliant and some can't. But if you, if you target just to do 80% of the time really well, it's going to evolve into 90-10 too, because that's what I found is that even if you try to, if you're going to do something 80% of the time, after a while, I mean, you know this as well, what you used to consider junk food and that was usually processed, you know, now blueberry, <laughs> blueberries to me is like really sweet dessert that I really try not to eat, you know, that often. And so what used to be a Snickers or a Dairy Queen is now some fruit. And I think the longer you do it, the more accustomed you become to eating more whole foods and you eventually evolve into where you don't even really want to eat any really bad junk food. That's that's at least how I am at this point. Oh, I agree. And when you do stray, you really feel like crap. <laughs> yeah, just you stray, you pay. I think that's a t-shirt right there. Yeah, oh, that, that works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just like, well, I think I'd rather just feel better um, in the long term. Uh, so I, yeah, 80, 20, yeah, it eventually becomes probably for most people 90, 10. And just cause it's worth it to feel really good. Yeah. Which, which is just amazing for those that do this, they'll understand this, but for those that don't, when you change your diet and now I eat pretty clean, just like you do. Um, if you do eat like that pizza or something where, it probably had the same effect on me back then. I just didn't notice it. But mm -hmm. but now I do it, and the next day, my head's groggy, my stomach, definitely my stomach can't tolerate that junk food anymore. But your body adapts to eating 
clean and it gets used to that way of eating. And then when, when you go back, I, you know, especially like gluten sensitivities and stuff, I mean, you know, that, that could stay in your system for some say a three months if you, you know, eat gluten. So, but I think the 80, 20 is a great way to start for sure. Yep. And, um, you know, we, we joke about it because literally today is actually our last day of the 21 day challenge. I'll tell people, all right, now go out and have pizza and see if you don't want to eat primal the following day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It tastes, it tastes really good going down. I'll give oh, it that, yeah. you know, but then for 20 minutes of uh, enjoyment. Yeah. I want to ask you a question. So you host the world's only Obstaplunge ninja competitions? Yes. What, um, what is that? The world's only Obstaplunge is a obstacle course that we set up on a beach in Warwick. And it's on New Year's Day. So it's a half mile course where uh, people will run through the course and then it ends in the bay. So you do a half mile obstacle course with you know, probably eight to ten obstacles. And then you do your regular kind of New Year's Day plunge immediately after. And that's how the course ends. So we came up with the term obstacle plunge. Uh, we had already been doing a, just a New Year's Day plunge for charity uh, for about five years. And then in that time, the business started doing mobile obstacle courses or mobile ninja parties where we would set up uh, obstacles in people's backyards or mostly for schools like elementary schools. And then on the, the New Year's Day, this is uh, 2015. So the New Year's Day of 2015, my partner called me on the way to the beach and he had an epiphany and he said, why didn't we bring obstacles? And I just... Never thought of it. <laughs> so the, the planning for the Obstaplunge started that day. And in 2016, that was the, the world's inaugural Obstaplunge. We, we did a bunch of research. We didn't find anyone else doing it. And to us, it just made so much sense because, you know, running in the water and diving in, it, it's fun. It's, it's thrilling. It's invigorating. It's painful a little bit. Um, but it's on your mind the whole time. Now, if you throw in some obstacles in the mix, you're forced to kind of think about other things, get through that. And then you may be a little bit warmer after a half mile obstacle course to jump in the water. I think it shocks you just as much. Um, but it's a welcome distraction. And it's also a way that we've kind of separated ourselves a little bit from the other plunges because there's so many out there and they're all great at great beaches, especially in Rhode Island. But hopefully we're able to draw some of the obstacle course racing crowd. Yeah, that's cool. I'm guessing the water's pretty cold. Yeah, it's right around 40 degrees every year. Sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more, but 40 is cold. So are the, the ninja competitions, are those uh, for kids or for everybody? We, we do both. We do probably more kids' competitions than adults, but we have a space where it's, uh, we call it the jungle. It's all different types of obstacles, and a lot of them are interchangeable or can be modified and our kids love Ninja Warrior. Um, our ninja classes are extremely popular, which, by the way, we just pretty much teach them natural movement skills. We just call them ninja skills because it means more to them that way. But, yeah, and that's actually one of the first thing I noticed when I watched Ninja Warrior was it's all movement techniques just applied in a different context. Oh, is that um, right? Yeah, that, that, shows oh, yeah. A, that shows addictive. I don't watch it, like, regularly, but, you know, they always have marathons, so... If I, mm -hmm. if it happens to be on TV, I will end up watching that for hours. There's something about that show 
<laughs> that you just you just want to keep watching it. So, but oh, yeah. some of them are there. Some of those athletes are in such good shape. It's amazing. Right, and when you look at them, they're not uh, overly muscled. Um, they're not under muscled like you know a marathon runner. They have like kind of a nice balanced, generalist, you know, looking body. Like like Mark Sisson, like Erwan Lacour from MoveNat. Uh, you know, n- nice body is impressive, but not you know certainly like not looking like a bodybuilder. Um, but yet they perform the best because they have a good strength to weight ratio. But they do a little bit of everything. It's, there's balance. There's jumping. There's a lot of climbing. You kind of have to be a generalist. And it's also kids are naturals at it. You know, going back to to move that, they're naturals at that show or at those obstacles because it's all intuitive. And it's all how we moved at one point, and we just got away from it. Ninja competitions are just a great place for kids to be kids again and kind of push themselves. And probably for a lot of us playing on the playground back in the day, it's just like we probably already did our own ninja competitions uh, growing up. We just didn't call it that. Yeah, you found a really unique way to get kids back involved in fitness and in a way that they don't even really know it's fitness. It's just fun. It's just movement. It's it's actually I'm turning 50 this year, so you're younger. But you know, when I grew up out on the playground, I mean, we didn't have all the video games and stuff that they do now. But it was always just you know running around and playing make believe ninja and uh, playing on the jungle gyms and and I think that you found a great way to get kids back to what they should be doing anyway. Yeah, and it's really cool when kids will stay after class or ask me or our instructors after class how to get better at certain obstacles. And and when you tell them, oh, you need to do 30 pull-ups a day, or I want you to hang from a bar and every 10 seconds, you know, kick the bar or pull your knees to your chest, and you're giving them exercises, they'll do that to get better at obstacles. If we can turn kids onto that at a young age, that'd be really awesome. Yeah, that's great. What would you say are the benefits to this approach uh, compared to other approaches? We've, we've kind of talked a lot of, about a lot of them, but what would be your top three? It's uh, Number one is bang for your buck. You can spend an hour in the gym and uh, tone and define your muscles, but that's kind of all you're going to get out of it. If you spend an hour doing move nat, you're going to get toned and defined, but you're also going to become useful outside of the gym. Um, so that's definitely bang for your buck. Uh, the second part, or the number two, I guess, would be, uh, again, translation uh, outside of the gym, being useful outside of the gym, like, in a fun way. So, being the, the cool dad on the playground who does the monkey bars with his kids, um, being active on vacation, uh, falling the right way uh, on vacation, or doing things that you, you, know, you might not normally do. And, uh, you know, for those who want to do obstacle courses, and that's kind of a, a growing trend now in the fitness industry, uh, there's no better way to prepare yourself than natural movement. It's all, it's all there for us, and it makes you adaptive. Uh, I also think it leads to more, you know, situations where you push yourself and push your limits, again, outside of the gym or outside of, you know, uh, the sports field where you can kind of explore and, and be a little free and almost express yourself uh, with your movement, where most of us are kind of confined to lines on the field or 
you know, certain machines, you can, there's like no rules. You can kind of go out and, and do your own thing and play and explore. I think you, that becomes, right, that kind of connects you more to nature. And I think that's what we really need now in 2017 in this country is just to, to get outside and be a little bit more connected to nature. Yeah, that's a great summary. So Ryan, where can people find you? Tell us about your your gym. You got a really cool name for your gym, uh, Laid Back Fitness, and it's a uh, so it's a physical gym, and uh, but you can be found on the internet as well. So take us through how we connect. Sure, uh, LaidBackFitness.com will show you all of the different services that we provide and give you some insight on you know, what classes, personal training, birthday parties look like. Uh, we're located in Warwick, Rhode Island. And then we also take people outside uh, for a couple different classes where we get them out into nature, as well as setting them up, uh, setting obstacle courses up for them anywhere in the greater kind of southern New England area. We can travel and set up courses, big or small, for ages six and up. Oh, that's awesome. All right, and we'll link everything in the show notes. So, all right, Ryan, well, thank you so much for being on the show, and you are you are the first who uh, has ever explained what MoveNet is to us. So, uh, oh, awesome. yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's awesome. I'm going to actually, I'm going to look it up because I, I find it very interesting in the whole animal movement, uh, the, just the whole, I love the idea about exercising so that you can be more productive in life as opposed to just getting a stronger bench. Right. Exactly. And, um, to me, it's the most comprehensive, system out there. I think animal flow is awesome. I think parkour is awesome. I think MoveNet just is the most comprehensive of all the systems out there that are similar. All right. Well, good. Well, thank you again, Ryan, for being on the show today and for explaining everything you do. And I wish you luck and congratulations on everything you're doing. Thank you very much, Dan. And thanks again for having me. Oh, absolutely. You take care. Thank you for being with us today, and we hope that you are on the road to your successful low-carb lifestyle. Become a leader in your health and a leader in life. Check us out at www.thelowcarbleader.com. And remember to join Dan again next time on the Low Carb Leader Podcast.